Blog Talk Radio. At Firefly Willows L-I-V-E, we're working hard to be your trusted source for fun, enlightening, and heart-centered information and community. And we're passionate about the art of transformative media, the new leading edge of communication in our highly connected, media-rich world. If you're passionate about facilitating change and you have gifts or ideas you'd like to share, come join us, host a show, or be a guest. Or connect us to an amazing speaker or teacher whose message is too good to miss. There's always room for courageous, knowledgeable change makers, inspired artists, and new ideas. Let us know you're interested. Send an email to info at fireflywillows.com. We're Firefly Willows L-I-V-E, helping you find and shine your inner light. Firefly Willows L-I-V-E presents Healing Conversations. Featuring your host, Mildred Lynn McDonald. Good morning, everybody. This is Mildred Lynn McDonald, and I'm your host for Healing Conversations, live from Sebastopol today. And before we start with our roundtable topic, I'd like to welcome our three co-hosts, John Carcella. Good morning. Hi, C. Ludemers. Hello. And Deb Carcella. Good morning. What is the topic for today? Here it is. It's around the theme of fear of failure. And to build on that a little bit, I found a quote by Paulo Coelho, who you may also know as the author of The Alchemist. And here's the quote. There is only one thing that makes a dream impossible to achieve, the fear of failure. And I'll read it once more. There is only one thing that makes a dream impossible to achieve, the fear of failure. So if we look at this quote, it gives us an opportunity to ask ourselves a couple of questions. And these are the two questions I'd like to throw out. How can we transform failure from a foe to a friend? And then the second question would be, do you have any tips to offer our listeners or yourselves that will help you nip fear of failure in the bud. So John and Heisey and Deb, any thoughts on this one? I think I agree 100% with the quote. It makes total sense to me and I understand it viscerally. And I know that there have been many times when opportunity has perhaps been present in my life or in my past and I have basically talked myself out of even exploring it because the what-ifs have popped up and the what-ifs have been louder than the opportunity it seemed to be at the time. So fear of failure, I think, is very real and very true for most people or many people, maybe not most. But I think if we allow ourselves to at least once not give in to the what ifs and the that it's easier not to even try feeling and just go for it and allow what happens to happen and then experience that perhaps maybe you did fail. Maybe the what if actually happened and you look at it and you go, yeah, yeah, I thought that was a possibility and look, there it is and, and this just didn't work. But 
what did that really mean? Was it something that was really life-threatening? And if it was, then perhaps you shouldn't have gone down that road anyway. But if it wasn't, and it just didn't work out that one time, maybe you learned a whole bunch of things during the event or the, the failure of the event that are useful, and you'll know how to handle things the next time something rolls around. Anybody else have thoughts on that? Well, it brings to mind what my friend Joe was a coach, is a coach for young guys, soccer coach for young guys. And he tells a story about how he always tells his kids, don't make fun of your teammate when he's trying to go to his left. You know, when he's trying to use his left foot to dribble the ball or kick and score and he muffs it, don't criticize him because if you do, the chances that he's going to practice that is going to go down. And then the likelihood that he's going to be able to be successful at it during the game is going to go down. When you really need him to be good at going to his left, he won't be because he hasn't practiced it because you made fun of him. So the upshot is that not only is that true for teammates, but for yourself as well. Don't be afraid to go to your left because failing now is actually an exercise in learning so that you can be more adept at it later when you really need it. And I just think that's really, it's really beautiful and powerful way to understand that there really is no such thing as failure. There's just practice. And high C, anything to add? So it reminds me of a quote that's often attributed to Edison, um, Thomas Edison, although, of course, can't quite be sure if that's actually who said it, but I think it still rings true. Somebody asked him one time and they said, in creating the light bulb, you tried 700 times previously and failed before finally being able to successfully create it. How did you keep going? How did you keep motivated through 700 failures? And the response was, oh, I don't look at it as having failed 700 times. I, I look at it as having successfully discovered what doesn't work 700 times. Yeah. And so I think that switching the idea around from not that it's failure, but it's simply having successfully learned, and this is kind of what Deb was saying too, successfully learned what isn't right or what didn't work helps to keep moving us closer and closer towards the right path or the way that it will work or the success, whatever that is. I also think that the other aspect is the fear of failure, the attachment to a particular outcome. Mm -hmm. And if we can let go of being attached to how we think it has to turn out for us to be happy or to feel successful versus to be willing to make the attempt and if it turns out the way we thought it would, great. But also, if it doesn't, to see how it turns out, because it might actually turn out even better, which I think a lot of times is what happens in science. They experiment or they try something with a particular idea of what they think will happen, but something completely different happens. And they don't see that as a failure. They simply see it as, wow, we've discovered something we would have never thought of. Or this is something so new that it would have never come into our world had we not attempted and theoretically failed at what we were trying to do, but instead something better actually came. But all of that points to 
the importance of the attempt, of the trying to go for or towards something and not being attached to the outcome to the point of if it doesn't turn out the way that I think it should, that it's a failure versus being able to see how it turns out as, wow, okay, well, let's explore what that is and see how it turned out rather than turning it around to, oh, I failed because it didn't happen the way that I thought that it would or should. Yeah, I think attachment to outcome is really the thing that creates the the notion of failure. And Mildred Lynn, you said something a while ago. I think maybe it was in our conversation on Convergence back in February or before that, you said something that really has stuck with me. You said it depends on what you make it mean. And I really, I have really dug into that as a, a powerful mantra whenever I'm confronted by something that doesn't feel good or doesn't feel comfortable or feels like failure. It's only that because I make it mean that. Exactly, exactly. And my inspiration for that perception was from Viktor Frankl, his book, Man's Search for Meaning. And he alluded to the fact or the perception that we may lose everything, but we always maintain or retain the ability to choose what we make things mean. And like yourself, John, that was huge for me. I had just left high tech. I had bounced down the bunny trail (laughs) into the great unknown. And it was a real anchor point. And I can only feel that it was a real anchor point because it was it was reflecting universal truth. Now I wanted to ask John and Heisey and Deb if we bring this all to a practical level, to a tip level, is there anything that we could offer our listeners to help nip that fear of failure? Well, the first thing that comes to mind for me is a really very simple practice. And that is Oftentimes, that foreboding, that sense of fear of something bad happening, comes at a time when we are about to engage in something that could be interesting for us. And Dr. Brene Brown, in a conversation with Oprah Winfrey on her show, talked about this. And her conclusion was that successfully open-hearted people, in that moment of joy or in that moment of expectation and excitement, they, instead of allowing fear to come in, they switch to gratitude. They just allow themselves to be grateful for the opportunity or for the experience that they're having. And I think that that's something that I have been leaning on a little bit more to just be grateful for where I am. You know, if I'm in a dance lesson or on a drive or whatever's going on confronted with trying to develop my website, it all comes down to in the moment choosing, I have a choice to either be afraid or to be grateful. And so if I choose gratitude, it's way better. For me, I think that my tip would be to be conscious and conscientious about our language and words and to recognize how often we say something in a negative. So if we say, well, I really want to do this, but I'm afraid it won't happen, or I really want to accomplish this, but I I bet it won't be able to happen, or something like that. Anytime we find ourselves using a negative, if we can catch ourselves and change it around to 
not being said in a negative way, then we can both stimulate energy as well as actually change our brain and thinking process towards focusing on the positive or the possible rather than the negative, the what if, the failure aspect versus the potential of success aspect. And Deb, any thoughts? Yes, I really find that it's helpful to remind myself that I don't need to take myself or circumstance too seriously. If I trip and fall on my face, you know, I trip and fall on my face and you know what? It's funny and I'm going to laugh. And unfortunately, you know, I mean, slapstick, if you see someone else fall down, sometimes you just, the first reaction is to just laugh because as long as someone isn't mortally wounded, it's not that serious. And just everybody is human and we all stumble. And if we can laugh about it and not take it, so seriously and get all wrapped up in in the appearance and how other people are going to think and what they're going to perceive and how that makes me look in the eyes of others or in your own eyes, life just is so much easier. I'm laughing now. (laughs) You know, and just the one one last thought is a, a quote from Mark Twain, which I love to share. He said something like, I've lived through thousands of tragedies in my life, most of which have never happened. Oh, yeah, I love that. I love that. And before we sign up, I do have a little tip myself and very, very practical. Whenever I notice myself starting to go into that fear of failure zone, I take a yoga breath, which I've learned how to do over the last month, so I just took a deep breath before that, and I ask myself, what do I need to move forward? And that might be a little tiny inch of a step or it might be a leap or whatever. I find that calms me right down and puts me into a centered place. And I don't put any pressure on myself to know the next 50 things I need to move forward. I just need to know what's next. And I find it very comforting, so I'd love to throw that out. Plus, I'd love to talk about this a little bit more, but unfortunately, we're out of time for today, and I'd like to thank John and I see. You're welcome. And Deb. It's been a pleasure. Looking forward to talking with you again, and I would invite everybody to stay tuned for the rest of the show. It's going to be a great one. Thank you. Well, that's our roundtable for this week. Many thanks to Mildred Lynn McDonald and participants Deb and John Carousella and Heisey Lutmers. We hope you found this roundtable discussion engaging and thought-provoking. If you would like to join the conversation, visit facebook.com slash fireflywillows and add your comment under this week's roundtable post. Stay tuned. Hello, this is Mildred Lynn McDonald, and I'm your host for Healing Conversations, live from Sebastopol, California. Thank you for joining us today. Well, you're in for a treat. This time last year, we had a grand conversation with award-winning author Sarah Brown Crowder about the powerful connection between what is in your home and what's showing up in your life. You might be familiar with her book, House Heal, 
transform your life through the power of home or have already visited her website at www.househeal.com. Sarah was so popular last year that we invited her back to share more on her teachings that have helped so many people heal their home and transform their life, regardless of time, money, or effort available. So get ready for a bucket load of insightful tips, step-by-step guidance, and real-life stories that will be sure to inspire you for a more beautiful, balanced, and love-filled home. You may never look at your home or your life quite in the same way again. And if you would like to listen to last year's show after our conversation today or at your convenience, just click on the blue type show that's available in the blog talk radio description right on your screen. So without further ado, let's beam over to Toronto, Canada and welcome Sarah to the show. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Mildred Lynn. How are you? I am very well. Thank you so much for coming back again. And I wanted to share with our listeners one funny little story. That happened in May month, which is we're just over. I had a good friend of mine visiting from Newfoundland, and she was talking to me about her home. So naturally, I thought about your House Heal book, which I have a copy of, And I handed it to her, Sarah. So she started to read the book, and then all of a sudden, the light bulb went on in her head. And she said to me, I love this book. I love the teaching. I love the principles. I feel like Sarah is talking directly to me. So I thought to myself, well, (laughs) it doesn't get any better than that. I have to get Sarah back on the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, and thank you to your friend. That's wonderful. And yeah, it, it is, uh, yeah, and it is uh, it's a little bit of uh, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. So I'm willing to bet that there was something brewing in her that uh, that made her ready to receive that book in that way, and that's that's wonderful. And it really, I mean, House Heal does. I trust that it's coming to the right people in the right time because people do have to be ready. I can give the teaching, the principles, the inspiration, um, and like everything in life, people people have to be ready and run with it in their own life. But I do like giving the support and encouragement and examples because it it is quite magical. I was talking to someone um, uh, just this week who had uh, taken my course a couple of years ago and after two years she's still calling it magical she said you you said there was magic in this and you're right it is magic so <laughs> so Sarah for the listeners who may not have read your book yet or listened to the show from last year can you refresh us on what is health heal what inspired you to create it and what need are you trying to fill uh, yes, well, I would love to give uh, a refresher, and, and it, it helps. Uh, I find that repetition is, even for people who have uh, read the book and are applying the principles, it's really good reinforcement because even I learn something new every time uh, I teach a class, and uh, even I still pick up my book and read it. So, um, House Hill, House Hill, and you use this word um, 
with what your your friend said about my book house hill is it's a teaching so it's a it's a teaching that helps you to create an easier happier more beautiful joyful life for yourself using your home as the learning environment so it allows you to use the the physical space around you all of the the things in your home that you see around you as a, a tool to help you learn about how you are creating creating your life so if there's mess and clutter or things that you want to update or change in your home and you haven't been able to make the shift house hill helps you to see how and why that's happening so things start to happen as i just mentioned that appear to be by magic but they're really helping you to change the energy and um the teaching evolved uh, a little bit by accident i had been a passionate and still am a passionate student of of personal growth healing just uh pursuing my own wanting to feel this deep happiness and joy which i'm happy to say um after many 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 years of engaging in different courses and and teachings um I was able to to find that, but House Hill has really deepened it for me. And um, I sort of stumbled upon the connection between the person and home uh, while preparing homes for sale in my husband's real estate business, which I still do. So I'm in people's homes, and it was very clear that home, the physical part of home can be changed very quickly. So I started to ask the questions about, okay, why is it that if it's so easy for people to move into action to get their homes beautiful and in good repair and organized and clean, if people actually are able to do that, um, what is it that stops them from doing it for themselves? Why is it when there isn't a for sale sign (laughs) in the near future, are people not able to create that beautiful space for themselves? And it was in that exploration that and asking questions that House Heal came to be. So so in House Heal I don't teach about show condition for getting your house ready for sale. It's about creating what I call receiving conditions so that that the energy of your home, everything in it physically, the thoughts and emotions and what's happening in your home, that that is aligned energetically to help you to receive not only the beautiful things that you might want in your home, but also the experiences, the the wonderful friends who come and visit you in your home and feel welcome and and all of those things that make life so rich. Now, Sarah, it sounds like you were feeling one real need, which is getting a home ready for sale. And that set the stage to go even deeper, to go inside, and you had an epiphany. Is that, would that be fair? Yes, and, and it, it really was an epiphany because I, I, it started by people asking, started with people asking me to do in-home consultations when they weren't moving, and I very quickly found that I couldn't be helpful in that circumstance. I could help people get their house ready to sell, but I, I saw quickly that people have to be ready. So I wanted to answer that need, but I knew I had to find a different way. And so I created little classes, workshops, and it actually took several years for the teaching to develop into 
the depth that it is now. And I really feel that that the teaching now and what is captured in my book, and that's why my book was in progress for so long, but I couldn't finish it because I knew it wasn't finished. I knew I didn't have all the pieces. So it was that um, it was that asking what are what is missing and and uh, what was missing i had the term of receiving condition but it wasn't until i was i was given what i call in my book the three keys to living and receiving condition i had i i had to have the okay how do you do it so someone now can pick up my book and read through in a very logical, practical, even though we're dealing with very um, s- some really personal questions, uh, helping people to realize, recognize what thoughts, what emotions, what beliefs they hold about themselves and life are showing up in their home. Um, but the book does take people through a complete helpful process so that they can read the book and actually notice a difference, as your friend did. And I get I get uh, emails from people all the time saying, I read your book, I've started shifting, clearing things out. And uh, what I love is is when people, too, say that other people notice a difference in them and how they're responding because it, House Hill doesn't just change um, the physical, it doesn't just make your home look and feel better, it actually makes you uh, you feel better and actually makes you look better too. <laughs> I had a I had a group of I had a group of graduates last last week of uh, people who've taken my in person course in the last couple of years and they walked in and I looked and went oh my goodness your faces your beautiful faces there there was something had shifted that you could see and and I've had people tell me that their friends and family notice a difference in how they how they look. Um, they're just happy. People are simply happier, and th- and that's really the connection because um, there's a tendency, there's a saying that your home reflects who you are, and the very very first page of my book says your your home does not reflect who you are. Who it couldn't begin to who you are is always going to be a beautiful magnificent creative being whether you know it or not and no matter what your house is like your house could be in total chaos and you are still a beautiful being but your home does give you some really helpful feedback about how you are not who you are but how you are and how aware you are of your natural ability to create your life in every detail. And there is no place on the planet that is more helpful and has more of an impact on your life and how you feel about yourself um, than your home. Your home is where you take care of yourself. It's where you eat, where you bathe, where you welcome your friends, play with your kids. And and it's no matter what work you are, what work you are doing out in the world, no matter what else is going on in your life, for everyone, no matter whether they're in an apartment, a home, um, it doesn't matter what your living environment is, it's your base for for going out and living living your life. So it's it's really, really important. And um, so I'm just really grateful to, to have a way to, to help people make a shift in a way that is easy to understand, practical, and available to anyone who chooses, uh, chooses to do it. 
And I wanted to mention something else that really hit me. When my friend was reading your book, she said that she did not feel judged and she did not feel Mm. overwhelmed. She came in to reading the book knowing that in her home she had projects she wanted to tackle, but for various reasons, probably number one on the list is putting everyone else first. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, she never really got around to doing what she wanted to do that she intuitively knew would nourish her, herself, create a sanctuary mm-hmm. to help her in her life. So I thought that was really interesting. And I wanted to invite you to share from your experience what does your home feel like when it is in balance and harmony with your energy? And I would invite our listeners maybe to take a deep breath, close their eyes, and envision what you're going to share. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I love that, that your friend said that she wasn't being judged because that is the, that is the essence of the teaching is to understand that it is in treating yourself with kindness, seeing yourself without judgment. And the teaching really was inspired by hearing people's self-criticism in their homes. When I first started to do in-home consultations um, and see inside people's homes in a way that you don't normally see when you go to someone's house for dinner, they don't usually let you see their closets and their bedrooms and their basement. They they they've they've prepared for you so it was it was a a real opener for me to see the to hear people's apologies well we we meant to get to that don't look there we're getting to that and and i just had this compassion for people and feeling the pressure and that is the first uh, thing about that the first step in the teaching is lifting off that self-criticism. So what I said earlier, even if your home is in disrepair, even if you feel like you you have not been taking good care of your home, that that there's clutter and mess and dirt or or decorating that needs to be done, it's that starting with uh, affirmations of feeling good about yourself and um you know the earlier conversation before the call with your with your round table and this fear of failure um i would even add to that that home can often carry this vibration of not fear of failure but feeling like you already are a failure so that there's this vibration of this is a mess i'm not doing well enough it shouldn't be like this i should be able to do this so so what i see with people coming in is is this feeling of self-criticism and the very first thing that we do is really try to I, I try to help people shift their thoughts to more hopeful thoughts and taking care of uh, t- taking care of themselves um, one of my favorite quotes and it's in I, I quoted in in my book uh, from uh, dr. David Hawkins from his book power versus force and uh, Dr. Hawkins did years of research calibrating emotions and their uh, their impact on on life, on people in their own lives, out in the world, and out in the world. And after all of his research, he distilled uh, stilled it all down to to one statement that leapt out to me was um, that simple kindness to oneself and all that lives 
is the most powerful transformational force of all. So if we want to see transformation in life, um, it's, it's developing that kindness and that your friend felt not judged was just beautiful. And, and that's the starting point. Even before doing physical work in your home um, is to get that feeling of relief, to get that feeling of this is okay, I can do this, I can deal with it. And, and, and it's great that then you can go clean out a drawer or clean out your refrigerator and have this feeling like you're really not just having a, a cleaner refrigerator, but you're actually shifting the energy of your home and taking charge of your life in a way that feels good. So, so yeah, it's pretty big stuff. Yeah, but in, sure. the, in, in the nice little details of life. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting here and I'm listening to you and I feel like cleaning. No, I'm scared enough. <laughs> well, it does, it does have that. <laughs> That's the beauty of it. That is the absolute beauty of it is that, you know, for years people have been going on these spiritual retreats or reading books about the power of thought and and meditating and doing all these wonderful things to feel better about themselves. And then they come home and they still go, oh, my life's, my life's still here. Why, why am I not doing anything different? And, um, and that's, that's the beauty of House Heal is that actually – gives you something to do to sh- shift the energy not only in your home but in your life it shifts that voice in your head that says i'm feeling overwhelmed it shifts that overwhelm to you know what this might feel overwhelming this may have felt overwhelming before but i am starting to see my way through it i'm starting to see that if i just um take five minutes and clean up my my bathroom pick the towels up off the floor wipe the counters put my put my toiletries away and fold the towels that I will actually feel better about myself in my life and it is in some ways that simple but it's that underlying message that letting go of the judgment that we're talking about and actually feeling empowered I liked when you said when the student is ready, the teacher will come. And Mm -hmm. from that, where I'm going now, what I'm really interested in, through your experience and through your teaching and interactions with people, are there any characteristics that the student that is ready shares that that you found in your classes? And Mm -hmm. what are they looking for? What's driving this? Well, um, I would say that the majority of people, well, just straight observation, most of them are women. I didn't set out with that intention, but um, it seems that with home and uh, women and healing, there seems to be a very, very strong connection. And, um, and I would say that there is a some kind of wanting. So, it, it, And it is often a sense of overwhelm in the home. And um, so it typically is, it, it, it typically that is the entry point. And then as they engage either in reading the book or in, in the conversations through the course that I give, people start to understand that connection between them and their home. And, and there was a moment in a class that I just loved where there was a, there was a, a woman who, 
all of a sudden you could practically see the light going off in it. She just and her face lit up and she said, "Oh, I get it. I thought I was here to make my home nicer so I could feel better about myself, but I it's actually me feeling better about myself that's going to be reflected in how my home is." And you know, I wanted to break into applause and say, yes, that's it, because we all know that it is very possible to live in a beautiful home. It's very possible to live in a home that could be showcased in a magazine and still not be happy. It's not that a beautiful home makes you happy, but being happy is always going to give you a beautiful home. You just cannot be fully aligned with self-love and creativity and connected to that energy that is running through you and have a messy, dirty, cluttered, overwhelming home. It's just it's just not possible. Um, as your home doesn't reflect who you are, it reflects how you are. And if how you are is living with love and attention and clear intention about what it is that you're trying to create in your life, then that is going to be reflected in how you create your living space to support that. That so, makes a lot of so, sense. So, so mm-hmm. people, it has to be people who are who are ready for who who are feeling some stirring inside. And you want to know a funny note because I was not expecting uh, an observation I've had because this 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 is very I, I'm I'm amused by it is that. Some of the people who find it most challenging to make the changes are the ones who have been studying the power of thought, the power of who have the library of oh. self-help books. <laughs> um, th- that those people sometimes have a greater challenge putting things into practice because they're trying so hard to understand it. And there's a part of that conversation that's going, well, I know this stuff. I recognize these principles because the principles behind House Hill have been around forever. They just are. They're laws of the universe. It's how energy works. It's not something that I invented. Um, it's just the application to home and and integrated into the teaching um, is the new way of of using these powerful forces to to actually make a change so it's the people who you know kind of innocently pick up the book or wander into the course thinking yeah i'd like my house to be tidier or cleaner i'd like to who kind of get whoa (laughs) 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 they sort of get this bonus of oh i'm getting more than a tidy clean beautiful home here i'm actually learning about myself and how I create my life. And, and, and those people don't have the sort of years of disappointment and resistance built up and are, and are able to take it and run with it. Now, that's not to say that people who, like like I was, the, the uh, perennial student of, of uh, um, you know, spiritual growth and healing, um, that they don't take to it. Many of those one, th- those people do really express their their gratitude for finally having a place to to apply it to actually see it working in their life. Hmm. Now, as you're talking, I know there's people listening out there, and they're totally into this, and they're saying to themselves, "Well, I think a good place to start would be my closet, but it's pretty scary in there." Mm-hmm. Do you have a tip? Do you have a tip because? I know that's what people are thinking because that's what I'm thinking. 
Mm-hmm. What is the closet? Yeah, yeah. And actually, the closet is usually a place that I recommend not starting. Do not start in your basement. Do not start in your closet. Okay. Unless – now, I will – I will go back and clarify and, and reframe that in in a, in a second, um, but yes, I do have some guidelines that are that are really really important, um, and um, you know I'll try to put this in a simple way that I can understand without sort of having to give the full background. But really, what we're trying to do is reframe that message going on in your head. So we want to get the message instead of saying this is overwhelming we want to to get that sort of vibration going of oh this is easier than i thought it would be so to do that i recommend starting with small chunks and start with a that a piece that you know that you can complete and does not have a lot of emotion so for example starting in your closet can be overwhelming unless you decide that, okay, I'm only going to take out 10 items today and I'll take out 10 items tomorrow and you chunk it down into something manageable. But often when we open a closet, we've got all these emotions. You might have emotions about why did I spend that money? There are things in there still with price tags on them. You might have um, clothes from a job that you're no longer in that you miss and you're hoping you know I've had people who have out of a corporate world and hoping to go back in so they hang on to the suits that are never really going to come back in style <laughs> but the, the, those suits hold on to the the hope and there may be people hoping that they're going to fit back into a pair of blue jeans um, so that so there's issues about how you feel about yourself physically so so this closet can be this this vessel of, of, of pent-up emotions. So I really suggest starting with something simpler. So if somebody listening wants to start um, somewhere manageable, I suggest that the, the bathroom, depending on what the person's bathroom is like, is a very good place to start because there's not a lot of emotion there, but it's, it's a room where you, you start your day, you finish your day. And so if that can be a place of beauty and peace, then that's a good start. And a bathroom is usually quite manageable. So it might be going in and looking and seeing what's on the counter, clearing space um, on, on flat surfaces is a very good place to start. Look at if you have a shower curtain, look to see if maybe it needs a run through the, the, the washing machine. Look at the products. Do you have beautiful products that that feel good or that feel good to use that don't have all the har- harmful chemicals, um, or do you have twenty different bottles of shampoos and conditioners all on the go at the same time? So it's really looking at the floors, at your hardware. Are there fingerprints around the doorway? And really just starting to open up awareness of your space in a way that doesn't feel overwhelming doesn't feel like you're judging yourself, but really feeling it like an opportunity to see the details of your life with excitement because you know that you can change them. So so spending literally five minutes in your bathroom can sometimes bring about this wow i had no idea this was going to this could be so fast and so easy mm-hmm. to make such a noticeable change 
So, and, and then it reinforces it so that every time you go into that room, you go, wow, I noticed the difference. So it's, it's really building that, um, shifting that vibration. And that's why I suggest working in a, in a, starting in a smaller space so that even if you want to start in your kitchen, start by cleaning the dishes in your sink or unloading the dishwasher or just take on a task, not something that's going to take you three hours. But start small and build those muscles. So, so that, that would be the advice that I would give and also develop the habit of noticing how you're feeling. So even right now for people... You know, notice, are you breathing? Are you starting to feel excited? You said a, a minute ago, Mildred, and I feel like going and cleaning something. <laughs> and and um, <laughs> I do get that feedback from, from, the, from the book is that <laughs> I'm only on Chapter 2 and I've cleaned out three drawers and four, <laughs> four cupboards already, you know. So, so I find that people have to digest. And that's why I teach the course over four mm. weeks and only two-and-a-half-hour segments because I tried in the early years to run a full-day course and I could just see people glazing over by lunchtime because they wanted to run home and do something. <laughs> and <laughs> No, really. They did. <laughs> so, so, so that's, and, and, and that's why it's, it's, it's great to have that time to integrate things at home and to... And to you know, and to and to recognize that this can stir up a lot of emotions. So, so it's really a gentle way of of uh, learning about yourself. Now, when you mentioned about cleaning out the closet and perhaps that's not the best place to start because of the emotional component, what came into my mind was I was home in Cape Breton and I decided to help my mom clean out her closet. Mm. I had no emotional attachment to my mom's clothes, although she has many beautiful clothes from many beautiful decades. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And as I was going through her closet quickly, and it was so clear and objective to me, I noticed that she was sitting on the bed and she wasn't going as quickly in terms of pace. And she said to me, finally, finally, she said, wait a minute, you're throwing out my life. And I stopped and I thought, oh my heavens, you're absolutely right. These clothes have a lot of emotional attachment. So you could take this to various areas in your home. And I think the salient point that you so masterfully shared is to recognize that these areas that may not be at their most balanced or beautiful may have an emotional emotional component for you attached to them and to honor Mm -hmm. that and respect it and deal with it well yes and and that's that's why it's really important for each person to take it on uh take on this work for themselves by choice going back to who comes forward to the course and um i talked about the three keys to living and receiving condition and it's absolutely essential to take that through the the process because unless someone like your mother is is wanting something other than the closet that she has and the feeling that goes with it there's not going to be a, there's not going to be a change each person each of us has to choose for ourselves if we're ready for the change and and things with memories whether it's clothes or papers, letters, 
um, furniture, anything that holds memories, it's very delicate. And yet at the same time, going to the vibration, we have to be very careful with holding on to things. Um, if, if what you're choosing is to create your present and your future with with vision, with hope, and fully engaging in the now, um, then sometimes holding on to things is not in our best interest, that, that it can keep us energetically stuck in the past. Holding on to memorabilia can, and not always, and this is why it's important for each person to sort of explore, and we give some tools for, for, for how to explore that for yourself, is asking now am i hold does does holding on to this make me feel excited about my life now or does it give is it giving the message to me is it allowing the vibration in my field of the best years of my life have already gone by you know when people are hanging on to high school memorabilia or you don't have to be old. <laughs> you don't have to be in your <laughs> 70s or 80s to have that vibration. I've seen, I've seen people much, much younger who are holding on to things for, that really physically don't serve them now for sentimental reasons. Um, you know, I once was at somebody's house who was having a, <laughs> was having a, a love seat reupholstered because even though she could more than afford to buy any love seat she wanted, but because it was the only piece of furniture that she had from before the time that she was married. <laughs> so, so for her, I believe that represented, um, or I would suspect that that represented, you know, her independence that she wanted to hang on to that symbolically, which there's nothing wrong with. But for each of us, we want to look at why are we hanging, what is the underlying emotion, and is that contributing to me moving forward, or is it holding me in the past? And what you experienced with your mother was exactly what I experienced when I first thought of going into people's homes and helping them, and realizing that people have to choose for themselves. Once they've made that choice, then bring on all the physical help they can take, you know, that then things move easily. But it's really dealing with the emotions first. And, um, and yeah, and, and there are different ways that people can be allowed to, to let go. I find that a lot of times people, even if they want to give things away, if they have a set of dishes that they're not using or if they have their children's clothes, it's people wanting to find a, a worthy recipient. They don't want to just put them at the curb or give them to charity that they, they feel like they, they want to shepherd their things to a um, to, to where they will be appreciated. And so it's, it's sometimes a bit of an exploration. Okay, what's the emotion under this, and, and is this helpful to me in creating this beautiful, joyful life? So so there you go. It's, uh, there's a I lot like to that. it. There it really is. Now, you mentioned that you were teaching your course and that people would want to move into action. Was that why you created House Heal into Practice? Because I know this is fairly new and I'd love to hear more about it. Yes, um, yes, and, and the House Heal into Practice is uh, I, I tried to come up with a catchier name, you know. <laughs> but, but every time I, it really is, how seal into practice because um, 
people reading the book, um, it's a very simple concept to get. You know that that um, receiving condition, and I use, and I won't go into the full explanation, but just for people hearing about this for the first time, I use the analogy of your home um, acting as a traffic light to the universe. So you've got all these wonderful things, this ease, money, joy, uh, fun, wanting to come to you and yet the energy of your home acts as a traffic light to the universe so we go through a process identifying the the red zones uh, yellow zones green zones and people read the book they get that i love it and then they start talking about the red zones the yellow zones the green zones <laughs> but to really make the shift i find like for anything it just really helps to have the support and um and the practice and the focus it's you know it's even it's like going to the gym it's not like you don't know how to exercise sometimes or maybe you need to learn a little bit but it's it's going and joining with other people and hearing other people's stories and and really feeling like you're you're you've got some some help and support and focus so so the nice thing about it too is that you know what i said earlier making the physical changes is actually very simple i do this all the time still getting houses ready for sale and you know last week there was a for sale sign went up on at a house and if if you had seen um the house a week before the for sale sign went up you wouldn't have known that it was possible to be so beautiful in such a short time so the physical is not the is not the issue and so by taking it into a four-week course and then support continuing on um after the four weeks, is that people can get make enough physical changes in that time that that they have an easier time carrying forward on their own, and um, because it is a continuous process, it's not like you get your house perfect and then it stays that way. Uh, you might have noticed that <laughs> clothes get dirty yeah. again. <laughs> Even even your 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 new curtains fade at a certain point, or things go out of style, or your so so it's it's always keeping things clean. In fact, it's a daily practice. So so it's really helping people to to um, learn new habits, and and the course is long enough that people actually shift in a way that it it's just it's pretty much impossible for them to go backwards once they get to that point. So um, it's 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 the starting point. And I mentioned um, that I earlier that I had spoken to someone who took the course two and a half years ago, the very very first course. And I've just in, reintroduced the course this year. But it was really nice to um, it was really nice to hear that she says it stays with me every day. Every day it's in my awareness, and I am grateful for it. So it that was beautiful to hear. And Sarah, on a personal note, just to help our listeners get to know you a little bit better, you love to teach, and I'm wondering if that also was one of the driving forces to creating this course, because I know you you feel you would like to roll up your sleeve and jump in there. Um, yeah, I do. And it's funny, because I, I do love to teach, and when I was little, I, I, I wanted to be a teacher, but I, I didn't go to teacher's I didn't ever want to become a teacher in the sort of in the traditional sense, but when I look back, my my very first full time job was giving workshops 
uh, to unemployed young people. Um, I created an educational program, and uh, when I was when I was very young, um, so teaching in a way has been has been part of of my life. And when I when I got deeper into the spiritual learning um, explorations, there were there was part of me that always wanted to teach. And in fact, I remember, oh, it had to be, oh, more than 20 years ago, I created a, a class, a workshop that I gave once. You, you're talking about fear of failure, and I remember, I remember Deb saying in the earlier conversation that, that, that failure is just a, a learning. And um, I created a, a workshop called How to Be Really, Really Happy. And it was it was a good little workshop I gave it once, I gave it presented it once had a good little audience but I knew that that was not it so I was looking for context I didn't want to be a general teacher I I wanted something that had some meat and some meaning and 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 that people could actually do something with and using the principles that I'm teaching through Househeal that as, and I clarify, these are not my principles. These are universal principles that apply to every human on the on the planet, the, the, this creative force that we're all connected to. Using those principles and sending my request out to the universe and trusting that it was all aligning in perfect time, I asked for context. And this this gift of being shown the connection between what's going on in a person's home and what's going on in their life and their natural ability change and shape that experience that that to me was just the greatest gift so teaching this is the most natural thing in the world for me and um i'm just i just squirming with excitement and i have a class starting next week so i get to do it again <laughs> and, <laughs> and, it, and, and it is different every time right yeah, yeah it is different yes. every oh, time definitely. so yeah i I wanted to share for our listeners that, as I mentioned earlier in the show, we had the good fortune to talk and have a healing conversation with Sarah last year. Actually, it was May month last year, and that's available in the Blog Talk Radio archives. And if I remember correctly, we actually focused a lot on the book and went through each chapter, gave a little synopsis of each chapter. So if you're really ready to be inspired, I'd highly recommend to listen to that interview and then we can listen to this interview again because you're going to get rich in a set of both. Do you think that's a good approach, Sarah? I do very much, yes. Knowing the basics um, because for people need need to understand, um, need to have something linear to understand. So for people who need to understand how this works, that conversation that we had would be very helpful yeah now this is the other question that I'm sure is coming up yes 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 I would love to do something with my house but I don't have the time I don't have the money (laughs) and I have run off my feet what do you have to Mm -hmm. say about that Yes, well, um, remember when I said people who sign up have to be ready to um, look at themselves in the mirror with, with kindness and compassion. And the, the, the reality, the, and I say in quotation marks, reality is that uh, people, when I see people's lives and see their homes, I, see their lives, I'm not surprised that their homes are 
feeling over overwhelming because people have created lives that that are extremely busy. Um, if you, especially if you throw in full-time jobs and kids and all of the things that that life brings, um, but the simple truth is that everything is a choice, and that feeling of no, not having enough time, not having enough money, is one of the things that we gently help people to become aware of where they are telling themselves that. So. So this connection to the universe, when you actually say the words, I don't have enough time, I don't have enough money, that actually perpetuates that being your reality. So it, 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 those are the perfect, um, that's very common belief. And so it's when people start to be willing to question, okay, you know, Everybody has the same 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There, you know, one person doesn't have more time than the other. It's the choices, the thoughts, and that's one of the very direct things that that we address in the exercises in the course, so people can start to recognizing recognize their thinking and start to change it, and all of a sudden start to have more time, start to have more money ease into their life as they start to make the shift. But it is very easy. To, to stay in that belief because people have all kinds of evidence. They have the bills on their desk. They have the mess around them, and um, they're already not getting enough sleep. And and so it people can stay in that reality, or if people are ready to look at things differently, then there is an opening. So, so to anybody who's feeling like that, I would just encourage you to be curious and be willing to <laughs> to question if maybe there isn't something within your power, and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. I like that. As you were speaking, I was thinking about the beauty of nature, bringing nature mm. into your home. And nature, mm-hmm. as you know, does not have a price tag. So one mm-hmm. idea here. Now, Sarah, you've been talking and talking and sharing all this wonderful information. I'd love to give you a little break. And... What I'm going to do during our little five-minute break is play a beautiful, beautiful song that was written by Ben Harper and Rita McNeil and Ben Harper sing the song, and it's called I Shall Not Walk Alone. And the reason I wanted to play this song is because Sarah inspired me. Um, Sarah, I'm speaking to our listeners now. Sarah inspired me about honoring the external environment, which someone could call a home. And as I was reflecting on that before the show, it occurred to me that it's time to honor the internal environment and the people that I've met along the way that have helped me gain a richer inner life. And oddly enough, when I was reflecting on these people, and these are people who are no longer with us, they were all born in May. One was born May 29th, one was born May 30th, another was born May 28th. And from that, I also thought, well, do you know what? This would be a good idea. Why not invite our listeners to listen to the song and think about females, older females perhaps that have been mentors to them or spiritual advisors and write down what they have brought into their life. So I would like to acknowledge four people right now. 
And the first person I'd like to acknowledge is Louise White, and she was born in Sydney, Nova Scotia. She was born on May 29th, and she passed away on at 62 years of age. And how she helped my internal environment, she was a spiritual mentor, and she was an entrepreneur, and she was a teacher. And how I related to her is that she also had a background in science. And although she had a background in science, she opened up a whole new world of energy, or as Sarah would say, energy vibrations, that virtually changed my life. So that's one person I'd like to acknowledge. And the second person I'd like to acknowledge who's also passed away is Geraldine LaRock. And she was born on May 30th in Low Point, around New Waterford, Nova Scotia. For me, she was a teacher. She had a timelessness about her person. She was definitely an original. And she showed great dignity, and she showed perseverance and strength as she battled a serious illness. And I'll always remember how even going through difficult times, she had an opportunity to laugh, and she took the opportunity to laugh. She was a great friend. And the third person that really inspired me and she's passed over is the great Canadian icon, Rita McNeil. And she touched very many people, not only myself. She was born on May 28th in Big Pond, Nova Scotia, and she died at the age of 68. What I learned from Rita McNeil is humility, how to believe in yourself, kindness, and bucket loads and bucket loads of generosity of spirit. And then the fourth person I'd like to acknowledge before we listen to the song is my maternal grandmother, Mildred McDonald. She was also born in May in Glace Bay, Nova Scotia. She's my namesake, and her name means gentle strength. And as a child and a teenager, what I learned from her is the importance of diplomacy, great determination, and walking with grace. So I'd like to share with everybody now a beautiful song by Rita McNeil and Ben Harper called I Shall Not Walk Alone. And some people might like to get up and stretch. Some people might like to get a cup of tea. And others will just close their eyes, take in a deep breath, and really honor themselves and all the women that went before them that provided inspiration. So here we go. I know sometimes 
You're listening to Healing Conversations with host Mildred Lynn McDonald on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Find out more at fireflywillows.com. Enjoy the show. And we're back. Are you there, Sarah? Oh, I am, but I have to say I have tears in my eyes. (laughs) That was so beautiful. It is very beautiful. And once again, I wanted to thank you for being the inspiration that led my thoughts in that area. As I was sharing earlier, you're talking about honoring the outer landscape with an eye to transforming the inner landscape and they feed each Mm -hmm. other and that's where this came from. I really feel that feminine energy, lots of feminine energy is needed to help heal the world and you're certainly doing your part and I'm doing my little part too. (laughs) (laughs) No, and it really is beautiful and it's funny that you mentioned the uh, feminine energy because I just uh, this week uh, ordered and received a copy of a book that was recommended to me by, um, I don't know if you might have heard, Dr. Christine Page, who's a, a medical doctor but also an intuitive, and her latest book is called The Healing Power of the Sacred Woman and how we need to bring in this, it, it's not just the, the, the women but the feminine energy to bring about this healing. And, and there have been so many women that that um, that touch us and it's important to keep them in in our hearts and um and there is such a connection you know i i just making a link see i said that the the discussions are new every time because the the connections there are so many connections to be made between our emotions and our and our homes but we put so much attachment onto the the things that bring back memories but i don't know about you with your grandmother but i don't need a thing of my grandmother's to help me to remember her she is just so i can close my eyes i can hear her voice i can see her i can walk through her home in my mind and i know right where the cookies are where the chocolates are hid <laughs> in the in the dining room drawer I, I can see the furniture the rugs the paintings I, that house is imprinted on me so deeply and my memories of of um of her that I, you know, I have her dishes, but I don't need the dishes for the memory. And, yeah. uh, and you know what, Sarah, I do the same thing with my grandmother's house. I walk in the front door and I mentally go through every room and mm-hmm. remember where every ornament, every picture, every rug was. And I have no idea why I do that, but it does mm-hmm. bring me a great sense of calm. And like you say, it's nothing of the material world. It's coming from your heart and your spirit, and it really shows how these wonderful women who come into your life and feminine energy, and thank you for clarifying, men can have feminine energy that's healing and women can have feminine energy that's healing, how this mm-hmm. really, really helps you grow and show up as a better person in every mm-hmm. aspect. Yeah. Yes, and it, and it is that gentleness, that, that kindness that we talked about earlier. That unconditional love. Yes. Now, Sarah, speaking of people and moving back, sashaying back into the home, <laughs> house heel, <laughs> we don't live in a bubble. So there's kids, there's spouse, there's pets, there's relatives, there's friends that 
can be moving through your home. How mm-hmm. do you deal with other people's stuff and energy? <laughs> oh boy, that's a that's a that's a, a big and and um, multifaceted question, isn't it? Um, yeah, and and that's really what a home is, right? It's it's not just living by yourself, even if you live. Um, even if you are in circumstances where, where you're living alone, it's sharing your home with other people, um, as you mentioned, as guests or, or having this place of, of gathering. And I do many times hear people say, well, it's not just me and my mess, it's, it's my kids, it's my husband, it's, it, you know, it, it, there is um, a mix of energies or there can be a mix of energies in the home. And um, this probably dealing with this is why um, the chapter uh, the, the chapter about other people in my home is is uh, the second last chapter because we have to have all the tools for dealing with other people in the earlier 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 part of the book. But the the short answer is sort of similar to the answer about uh, not having enough time or not having enough money is that the principle is that you are the creator of your own life experience. So if you're living with people, you might not be able to control what they do, but you do have uh, an in- direct influence on how you respond. So if someone else is messing up your space and you're getting frustrated with it, the lesson, if you are willing to see it, is is not the, pr- the problem isn't that they're making the mess. There is a deeper underlying emotion for you to recognize about you, so that when you start to free others from being responsible for you and your life, remember we said earlier that no one else can make changes for someone else. It's the same thing. No one, no one else can control you in your life. How you are living is is a result of choices that you have been making. And we always feel better when we come from a place of love. So when people ask me about what to do about other people, my answer is always first look within yourself and try to find that response of coming from a place of love. And until you can address an issue from with kindness, so it, you know, instead of saying, why are you always making this mess, um, being able to, in a time that feels good and loving, say, you know what, I know you live here too, and I love you, and you have the right to have your things around, but we have to find a way where this works for all of us because I can't, I just don't feel good in having mess around the house all the time. So let's try and figure this out. But coming from a place of love and inclusion, it's a very different conversation that's going to invite a very different response. So so a lot of the teaching is is being aware of your thoughts and um, even when other people's energy or stuff is getting in your way, to find a way that to choose from within you to respond that feels good. And it's absolutely amazing what happens with other people. I mean, I had a story recently, uh, someone came back to class and said, I can't believe it, you know, my daughter and my husband suddenly started cleaning up the house without me saying a thing, that they just were noticing what she was doing and noticed that they liked it, so jumped in starting to do their part. So people will surprise you. People will surprise you. Yeah, and I really love your small steps because I know myself, 
and this is something I also learned from my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother has a large home, and what she suggested, very similar to what you did, the suggested is just five minutes a day or ten minutes a day. So mm-hmm. I ha- always have a little project on the go that's not on the critical path. This is just mm-hmm. my approach. Something I've always wanted to get to, but of course you never get to. And then I take maybe five or ten minutes every second day or a couple of times a week, and I tackle that. It always ends up making me feel really good. Mm-hmm. And that's what amazed me, because I thought I wouldn't feel good until I completed the task, mm-hmm. this momentous task. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the, small, the small little steps. I get a great sense of fulfillment and satisfaction. It's just, yes. It was such a yes. surprise. So I'm sure you've experienced that. You're a walking example. Well, it and and that's that's one of the core practices of, for for listeners who want to do something. It is. I suggest getting a, a clock, a, a, a timer, or, or putting a timer on your your phone or whatever you have, and. And just uh, be amazed at how much you can accomplish in five minutes or even two minutes, ten minutes. And um, sometimes it can be almost a form of meditation. If you shut down everything else, if you don't have TV or radio or anything going on in the background, and just have silence and go into a, a, a quiet place and wipe down your, your kitchen counters or clean out a drawer or a cupboard. It's, um, I hear all the time from people that that is the single most helpful thing on a daily basis, the, the single most helpful daily practice is it doesn't have to be a three-hour Saturday morning project to get organized. The power is in the minute-by-minute day by day and your idea of taking on a, a little project I think is brilliant so it it, it really does it, it, it really affirms that feeling of this is possible even when things mm-hmm. still feel a little overwhelming this is possible and, and then you get started to get excited about what you can create so and the ideas start coming yeah mm-hmm. there are you mentioned the bathroom a little bit earlier as a good place mm-hmm. to start. I know there's some people listening saying, well, my bathroom is fine. I wonder if you could suggest another spot to start. Uh, yes. Well, I, uh, the bathroom and the kitchen are, are good rooms to start because they are uh, they, about self-care. And then there is, I would suggest the bedroom as the, as the third one because that's also a place of nurturing. And things to look for in the bedroom are: um, uh, is there is there mess? Is there is there clutter? Because a bedroom very important for it to be a place of peace. Ideally, you won't have computer or, or electronics. Now, I tell a funny story in my book about the television in the bedroom because there are purists who think that um, the television in the bedroom is a, is a big no-no. And um, for a long time, I insisted that we not have a bed. Television in our bedroom, but I realized that um, in doing that, I was never actually getting to fall asleep with my husband because he was falling asleep in another room. <laughs> so <laughs> I decided it was better for our marriage <laughs> if I had the TV and my husband in the in the bedroom. So um, and and that has worked out worked out well. Um, but um, looking for picking up clothes off the 
floor um, because, again, it's low-level stress that might not be in your awareness, but uh, having things on, on floors. Um, and Karen Kingston, who writes a wonderful book, about, well, several books about feng shui, but clear your clutter with feng shui, um, Karen Kingston talks about the importance of having things up off the floor that, that it can actually contribute to a feeling of depression. So uh, really important that your bedroom... Um, be a place of peace and there's research supporting that people who make their beds every day are happier so again which comes first do happier people make their beds or are people happier because they make their beds i think uh, you end up with the same results so um but looking at the details do you like your bedding um and and just really starting to put things away a little bit by a little bit clearing off your dressers and then inviting things that are more beautiful in once you clear and getting back to the, um, the question about time and money, one of one of the most beautiful things in this is that the things that make the biggest difference uh, to your home and making the shifts are the ones that cost nothing, that are free. Your thoughts cost you nothing, and your daily habits cost you nothing. There, there is no financial exchange. It's just a, a different kind of energy exchange. So for people who who um, are not in a position or don't want to go out and spend money, it really does begin with your thoughts and with your everyday actions. So um, mm-hmm. that's, 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 um, th- those would be the, the prime areas. And then, you know, I would go with wherever you feel moved where it feels exciting. So it's not following rules. I'm just giving suggestions. But really this teaching is about scanning your body and recognizing okay does it feel more fun and exciting to go here or does it feel you know do i feel more excited about working in my kitchen am i excited about my closet um and and just go where 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 you feel like where you feel called and then really set yourself up for success like you said i feel really good because i do a project and i complete it and and so that's that would be my advice is go where it feels good and and take on a chunk that you absolutely know that you can finish so again reinforcing that idea of this this is doable and um yeah cuz what you don't want is to start cleaning out your closet get overwhelmed and then have uh, your closet still a mess and have clothes all over your bed <laughs> you want to <laughs> and and end up worse than when you started so so having one bag and finishing that is is better than trying to take on too much I agree a hundred percent. Now, Sarah, if someone wanted to get a hold of you, and I know you have a website and you have a course on the go, can you share a little bit of the contact information just before we sign off here? Oh yes. Um, so the website for people to go to is househeal.com. So H-O-U-S-E-H-E-A-L househeal.com. And uh, to email me directly is Sarah without an H, S-A-R-A, at househeal.com. And if people going to the website want to sign up for my email list, I try not to um, send out uh, emails too quickly, only when I have uh, something to share, something to say. And uh, so you get updates on courses, maybe some insights, uh, stories uh, to share about uh, what might be helpful for you at home. And I also do uh, regular free teleseminars, so people who want to call in 
um, they'll also be notified of when those calls are coming up. And and I do plan, I don't have dates yet, but for people who do not live in Toronto and cannot come to the in-person classes, I am in the process of creating um, House Heal into practice as a telecourse for people who live at, well, anywhere in the world. So so that's that's in the works, and um, anybody who wants to know about that can just uh, be sure to sign up for the email list from my website. So that's www.househeal.com. That's the website. It is. Yes. www.househeal.com. Oh, no problem. And, okay, and, and I, Oh, go ahead. Yes. Yeah. No, and I just wanted to mention that anyone who wants to uh, get a copy of my book, if you can order a book from me directly on the website, if you want a signed copy, if you don't care about whether the, the book is signed by me or not, you can also order a copy from Amazon or other online booksellers, but Amazon.com, definitely. Thank you. And will you come back maybe next year? Oh, if you'll have me, I'll come back whenever you like. <laughs> I love our conversations, and I love getting this, this teaching. I love getting this teaching out there because it yes, really does I'll, work. I'll, and I'll have many, many more projects completed by then, Sarah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And, anyway, and, I wanted. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, no. I, I just, I, I, I want to make sure. I there, there's the last sentence of my book that I just wanted to make sure that that I can share because I really want people to take this uh, deeply inside themselves into their heart because this is really at the essence of this teaching and and of of life is. And the last sentence of my book is: Know that you are safe. You are loved and you are worthy to receive everything good in life, beginning at home. Wow, what a beautiful note to mm-hmm. end things on for today. So I wanted to thank our listeners for joining us today. We're talking with Sarah, without an H, Brown Crowder, author, or I should say award-winning author of House Heal. And Sarah, you have a beautiful day today. And for our listeners, if you would like to enjoy this conversation again, just go to the Blog Talk Radio archives. In fact, you can use the same link that you use to access the live show to listen to the recorded show 24 by 7. So thank you very, very much, Sarah. You do beautiful work, and we can all benefit from it. Well, thank you, Mildred Lynn. It's such a pleasure to talk with you. Okay, bye for now. Bye-bye. Join Mildred Lynn McDonald for a fascinating tour of the mind-body-spirit connection. Enjoy nourishing conversations, thought-provoking guests, personal growth tools, compassionate guidance, practical tips, plus a generous sprinkling of East Coast humor and warmth. You'll also love our popular roundtable discussions featuring Deb Carousella, Heisey Lutmers, John Carousella, and Mildred Lynn. Airs the first Sunday of the month at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. For more information, please go to HealingConversationsWithMildredLynn.com. This program was brought to you by Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. We hope you enjoyed the show. This is Deb Caracella. 
Please join us next time on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E for What's Your Prescription for Balance with Dr. Glenna Calder, Thursday afternoon at 3.30 p.m. Thank you for joining us.